It's Tuesday, June 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers and Dave Meyer. Good to see you, gentlemen. Yo. Hey. We got a lot going on. We're going to talk food, beverages, retail, and entertainment. That's a, that's a packed show right there. Let's start, let's start with the food. Um, Jack in the Box company we don't normally talk about, Charlie. It's got about uh, 2,200 restaurants and another 600-plus Qdoba Mexican grills. Shares of Jack in the Box up more than 2% this morning on the news that it will be closing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 12% of the Qdoba restaurants by the end of the fiscal year, which is the end of September. And you uh, said the stock was up. And the stock was up, which... Uh, they must have been really well, underperforming. Yeah, which <laughs> tells me that uh, they're not just identifying the underperforming uh, Qdobas, but the really underperforming Qdobas. Yeah, the market's saying cut your losses and win here. Yeah. Uh, so about half of the stores are company-owned. Yep. The other half are franchise, very common in the restaurant industry. And so it's actually uh, worse than what you said. They're cutting 67, I think it is, of the 300 and change they own. So right. if you view it in that way, it's uh, a quarter of the stores they own. They're saying, we don't want to own these anymore. Goodbye. Get out of here. Oops. Yeah, uh, because they're not doing very well. Uh, but on the bright side for Jack and the Box, if these stores are all losing money, it is a net benefit to the company to get rid of them. What is perplexing, though, over the next two fiscal years, they're actually going to build enough new stores to replace the ones they're closing. I was just going to say, that's what I don't understand about this, is that the, you know you get down towards the bottom of the story, and the company's like, oh, by the way, we're, we're not growing. Done. We plan to build another 70 or so Qdoba. So, I mean, did they just... Have bad locations? Did yeah. they? Uh, I, I, I so you're s- banking on them closing down horrible underperforming locations, and this time around, actually picking ones that work and not screwing it up. Well, again. I, I mean, Charlie's keying in on something I think that Chipotle has done really well to this point. And I mean, it's not like there is a limited market out there for these types of restaurants. I mean, the Chipotle's up somewhere now, 1,400 stores now with, with still uh, plenty of room to grow. But what they continue to do is they keep opening stores in areas where they already have stores that are performing. And basically what they're finding is that's kind of a low-hanging fruit. Right. So they build a store in a certain geographic area. It kills, and people all sit there and say they want more because the line is perpetually out the door. So they build more, and that, that kind of takes care of that market. And so I, I'm sure that, yeah, the, on the one hand, I mean, they're closing down. Down underperformers. I, I mean, keto is not the most compelling offering. I've been once, and never been back. But I mean, if uh, the plan is to open, you know, replacement stores. I mean, I don't know that they necessarily will at this point. But I mean, when they say that's the plan, you got to remember that it's not done yet. Dave. So yeah, uh, the other thing we don't necessarily know is were these were the oper- was it because of operator error? Were they just managed poorly? That's another thing that Chipotle has gone to great lengths to make sure that the people managing the stores and operating them know what they're doing. So that's that, that's one thing we don't think we know yet. It would seem like Chipotle is the automatic win. Like, they automatically win by doing nothing. They just wake up and see that there is going to be, in the next few months, slightly less competition in the Mexican fast casual space than there it's, was yeah, it's yesterday. Win for food with integrity over food you really don't want to ask about. <laughs> so how many, what was the breakdown again on the number of, of uh, Qdobas that were being closed down? How many of those are franchises? So, so they're, that, it's all so, company owned that they're so closing. They're all, see, that's very interesting because I mean, we know we always talk about a Chipotle is company owned and they don't franchise anymore because of that control uh, factor and, and it obviously is playing out very well in their favor but to see Qdoba closing down company owned stores that's that's curious actually I mean we would always kind of pay attention to the to the franchise stores when you look at like same store sales every quarter but to close down company owned stores is 
I would say that's that's another red flag. Maybe <laughs> should they instead uh, at Jack in the Box? Should they instead be focusing on their mainstay franchise and just opening up more there? Because when you look at just the the performance of Jack in the Box stock over the last few years, it's actually done pretty well. So they're they're clearly doing something right, and maybe it's on the Jack in the Box side and not on the Qdoba Mexican Grill side. I, I, I think it is worth exploring spinning off Qdoba. I think they acquired it back in 2003, something like that. And if it's not working for them and not going to be a 2,000-restaurant concept, uh, maybe they want to get rid of it. Amazon has a new gifting program on Facebook, uh, Amazon Birthday Gift, where you can send a friend a virtual gift card credit that they can spend on Amazon.com. Jason, this seems like a no-brainer for Amazon. I'm not entirely sure why Facebook is going for this unless they're getting some kind of a cut or something like that because Facebook has their own gifting program. They do, but the fact that we haven't talked a whole heck of a lot about it to date, I think, steers us to believe that maybe it's not doing all that great at this point in the game. And I think that what this boils down to is, number one, Facebook more or less has to do this because they have to figure out every reason uh, to keep people on that platform in that environment. And if they even get just a small cut of this transaction, then that's a win for them. Uh, but I think all this boils down to really is, for me, the, the question initially was trust. And so when you look at Amazon and Facebook, I mean, ask yourself as a consumer, who do you trust more? Do you trust Amazon more or do you trust Facebook more? Not as an investor, but as a consumer. And, I mean, I know for me, at least, I mean, I use Amazon a good bit. I think we all do, at least to a degree here. And I trust Amazon more as a consumer uh, just because I know that their goal is to be the most customer-centric company in the world. I mean, every time I purchase something from Amazon, is a good experience. The post-purchase experience is a good one. And so I think that it's a really easy way to gift something to someone, number one, knowing that they're going to basically get what they want. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're going to be satisfied, and the chances are they're going to probably get it pretty quickly, too. It's the best gift card you can get because, as the recipient, you know you can use it for anything. Whereas a Starbucks gift card is nice to have, but you're limited to the coffee. And think about how much, you know, how many frictional costs that sort of, of erases because there are no returns. You know, there's no really unsatisfied customer because it's just, it's currency. They can buy whatever they want on Amazon, which you can get virtually anything. And then I also wonder just down the road if this proves out. Maybe they maybe they gain a few more Prime members out of it, too. So, I mean, I think it's definitely a win for Amazon. I think Facebook more or less has to do it. And, again, it plays really right up Amazon's alley. This is, this is playing right into their strengths, and I expect good things from it. What I'd be really curious to know is do they plan on sharing the data with each other? And the reason is, good question. is if Facebook can get access to the data that about the transactions that happened at Amazon – that's that's big for them. They can use that with you know they they can use with that advertisers. with advertisers down the road. Now this could be like the snowball that just keeps it on could, building. You well, know, and the, the one thing I like about this is like I could start a gift card, Chris, when your birthday comes up. Okay, I could get a guy, I could open up a gift card for you, like twenty five bucks. Well, let's go fifty. I like you. I love this idea. We're doing fifty dollars. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, Charlie and David, and we're also friends on Facebook, and they see that this is now open. And whether it's peer pressure or whether they feel genuinely. You know, they're like, like I'm they really want to get you a gift. They can card. add to that card, and so all of a sudden, a fifty dollars gift card becomes a hundred dollars gift card. This is turning into Chris's favorite show ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of this program, Amazon Birthday <laughs> Gift. Um, although I, I want to push back slightly on on something you said, Jason. It's the whole notion of who do you trust more. I don't I don't distrust Facebook, and um, I, I I have a tremendous amount of trust in Amazon. But my relationship with Amazon is different than the one that I have with Facebook. I'm not transacting at all on Facebook. Now, maybe if Facebook expands its offerings to the point where I feel like, okay, well, that's a, I'm looking to, to Facebook as a uh, as a retail option for me, 
then I think I would I would look at it in terms of trust because there are certainly other I, I have a great deal of trust uh, uh, with Amazon in terms of the retail experience more so than other retailers out there that I've just had sort of a bad or, or somewhat negative retail experience. But Facebook, and maybe that's part of the challenge for Facebook, they haven't made that leap. At, at least with me, they haven't. I still look at it as just sort of the social platform and that's it. Yeah, but I think that was, that was really, you're absolutely right. That was the point of my, of my, of my sort of question was to say, well, Amazon already has that relationship with gotcha. us as consumers. So, so I totally look at it from it. that perspective. <laughs> but I, I, well, I think that, but that's been, that's been one of Facebook's biggest hurdles in their gift program is because they are not known from the consumer side of things, we don't see them as a retailer. Well, I, I have a lot easier time making that leap with someone like an Amazon than I do with a Facebook. It's not to say Facebook can't be successful, but I just uh, Amazon's certainly uh, ahead of them in, in, that, in that race. But for Facebook, what it does is it gets it gets its users even more connected, and yeah. ultimately, for its purpose, that's what it wants. Yeah, I think it's definitely could be a win-win there, no question. KitchenAid is teaming up with SodaStream to create a line of KitchenAid-branded carbonation machines. Uh, Dave, I'll ask you the question that <laughs> I posed to you before we started taping. Why is SodaStream doing this? This seems like whatever money they're getting out of this will be a fraction of what they get from their own devices. Yeah, but you know, one of the things that I think SodaStream is trying to shake is this whole notion of it's a fad. Shake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, what what this can do is is by pairing, you know, by partnering with another brand, a well-known brand, um, it can maybe get over that hump a little faster. Um, it can certainly bring incremental sales. Maybe it opens up more doors for SodaStream down the road. So that's, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty interesting idea. Plus it has an option. And that is KitchenAid is owned by Whirlpool. Yep. What if I was to put SodaStream dispensers right in a fridge? Aha. That would be a winning idea. Well, I was just going to say, if nothing else, the partnership with the Whirlpool Corporation and KitchenAid is, a, is I think, a very well-respected yes. brand in terms of devices, that sort of thing. I, just from my own experience, I know that uh, I've been happy with anything I've ever bought under that brand. So, it, again, from a branding standpoint, but, yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, all of a sudden it gets a lot more interesting. Yeah, I Charlie, the look on your face yeah. tells me that you're now dreaming of a fridge with SodaStream <laughs> built in. I am. Just I go hadn't considered that before, <laughs> like, five seconds ago. That's Perfect. why I didn't Brilliant. bring it up before we taped. Brilliant. Perfect world. And, I mean, yeah, I know that's going a little bit too far here, but you could get a Diet Coke dispenser right there. That would be <laughs> – I mean, I know you're going to get sort of no, the no, no, but have, out have of you the seen there, those but... machines? They have one at the Cozy down here uh, – <laughs> Like computers, now. where they're computers, yeah. where it's yeah. it's, it's, it's not like the traditional soda fountain machine with yeah. six different levers. There's it's, just one dispenser. You've got twenty options on it. You want Sprite Zero or Diet Coke or Orange Soda, and it whatever. has the suicide button. Yep. What's the suicide button? Every push every button. What? <laughs> haven't, you, you, haven't your kids ever done that? You go to the soda spout and you get a little bit of every single soda? Yeah, but let's be clear. Growing up, a suicide for us was like a mix of five sodas. Yeah, well, like, now it's like 28 and a half. Right. It's like Sprite, Fanta, Coke, and Dr. Pepper essentially all in one. It's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm trying that. <laughs> um, this weekend, the Brad Pitt... Action movie World War Z opens nationwide, uh, but Paramount Pictures and Regal Entertainment Group have got a deal for you. Uh, and this this plays off of something we touched on uh, on yesterday's Market Foolery uh, regarding the evolution of the movie industry. Uh, here's the deal: uh, you can see World War Z two days early. You can see it on June nineteenth. 
you get 3D glasses, a movie poster, a small popcorn, a digital copy a DVD of the movie when it becomes available, all for the price of $48. You had me until there. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing. You look at those other things, the glasses. I mean, a 3D movie, you're going to get the 3D glasses anyway. A popcorn is, a small popcorn is what, four, four bucks? Six dollars. I think it's $46. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you add up the poster, the popcorn, and the digital copy DVD in terms of what it costs. That, right. that You know, that's just a few bucks. And all of a sudden, you're looking at, okay, you get to see the movie two days early. For what three times the normal price? Um, this is, by the way, I should say this is not nationwide. This is in five cities: Houston, Philly, San Diego, Atlanta, and for some reason, Irvine, California. Nope, not a knock on Irvine, California. I just don't think, from a size perspective, it's it's not in the same category as those other four. Uh, but what do you think of this, Charlie? I'm, I, I, as I said before, part of me is just rooting for this to work. It, it's an interesting experiment. Uh, the video game companies have actually been doing this for years with their blockbuster titles. If you pre-order early, pay a little more, you get some extra bells and whistles. Uh, it's worked well for them. And I think it's because it appeals to the fans of that franchise and the brand. Uh, we haven't yet seen this tried in movies, uh, but you could see if it works with World War Z. Uh, the next time we see a Star Wars movie come out, we know they're coming. Ooh. Or the next uh, Hobbit that comes out this winter, uh, this could be the start of a bigger trend that could really take off. I was just going to say, just the whole notion of you get to see it early. I feel like the the serious hardcore fans, the people who are like, yes. I saw Star Wars the first weekend it came out. That kind of, I feel like those people would absolutely pay double, triple. And it gets back to the comments that Steven Spielberg made last week at that panel in uh, at USC where he said this could very easily be the case where you have opening weekend of Iron Man 3, you're going to pay $25 a ticket. Opening weekend of Lincoln, it's seven. Um, <laughs> That's a deal that caters genuinely to the, to the population of cinephiles out there, which there are enough to support something like this. And, you know, I mean, the World War Z, they're playing on sort of this whole bigger picture sort of trend with zombies. And sure. I can't believe you so just well. spoiled it for me. What's that? Oh, <laughs> yeah, zombies. I didn't know that's part of it. You thought it was Zorro. You but anyway, was... Star Wars, I think Star Wars is a great example. I think that's one where they could do something like this. It would be tremendously successful. Now, I mean, the, de- the downside is that if the movie sucks, then, I mean, it's probably going to make a lot of people very angry. But, I mean, I bet you there's a big enough market out there to support something like this. $50 is a pretty reasonable, reasonable hurdle, I think, for... Uh, you know, for someone to go to a movie now, maybe to get a free popcorn out of it—that's pretty good. And I think I think it's trying to get the—it's certainly trying to serve their customer and trying to give them give them incrementally more, um, as well as extract incremental revenues. This is like monetizing the the premiere, if you will. You digital copy um, of the movie that doesn't cost anything, right? Yeah, I mean, they already own that. They've already made those. You know, they. That that's a you know that's a sunk cost right there. So, right. Uh, but I do I find the idea intriguing, and uh, I agree with the other guys. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes with new, with other films. I have to believe that all the other studios and theater gr- owner groups are watching this very closely because <laughs> oh, yeah. when you look at when you just look at box office receipts over the last few years, and in particular the extent to which. 3D movies are really helping to propel the money going into the movie theaters because that's increasingly making up a larger and larger percentage of the actual receipts. You know, so for years the trend has been, and I believe 2012 was actually uh, slightly reversed this trend, but for a few years there, 
what we saw in the movie theater in, in the movie industry was, well, the uh, the box office total revenue was going up, but that was due to ticket price increases. Not the actual number of ticket sales was going down as more right. people are watching movies in their home and that sort of thing. Well, fifty bucks is a pretty big increase, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing where it's like you know it really wouldn't take many uh, examples of something like this to really move the needle. I would think. Yeah. So I have one other thing that could really make it stick. What if they gave you like an alternate ending or something in this thing that you saw that differentiated you even further? A little Easter egg? You get an Easter egg? I'm going to one up in there. Instead of a free popcorn, you go with milk duds. Either that or you just (laughs) get the option. (laughs) Popcorn or milk duds. That's huge. They've got you right where they want you. That's right. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Just, just, just buy, buy Moser off with some milk duds. And he'll, he'll, he'll go for it. It's like the sun coming up. Well, I know what you're getting for your birthday on Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> Jason Moser, Dave Meyer, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Self. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.